0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another cloudy, but sometimes sunny day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill. And today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Hermenda Chana, Executive Principal at Arc Bolton Academy. Hermenda, Hello. Hello, Matthew. How are you? Very well. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, we no, might as thank well, you for inviting me. Well, we might as well dive straight in. In the matter of 18 months, you took a school from special measures to good. Tell me, how did you manage that?
1: So there, there, were, there were several key steps on that journey. And if I outline those steps, it was everything from being visible in front of our community so we could build trust. It was about walking the classrooms with teachers in very difficult circumstances to show that you were there with them to do the work. And then it was really managing expectations around what it takes for school improvement to take place. And I think there are several layers which you need to look at, which is everything from student culture to teaching and learning to making sure that you are succession planning along the way. So it's no one answer. And I know that's not what you're expecting, but it's, just, it's multiple layers that have to run in parallel. For that to happen, how would you describe
0: your personal leadership style?
1: That's, that's an interesting question. You are, you often get asked that, but I think for me, it's about making sure that you are the type of leader you need to be for the situation that's in front of you. And I think there are some instances where leaders need to be really direct. And I think that there are some instances where you need to be collaborative, role-model It encompasses all of the ones that we're aware of. But I think one of the key principles for me is around making sure that we never forget that the people that stand in front of us are just human beings Mm -hmm. who are trying to do the best that they can. So I think the underlying principle for me is whatever, no matter what type of leader I have to be, depending upon the circumstance, I always need to remember that the person in front of me is just a human being trying to do the best that they can.
0: So adaptability is key.
1: That, that, absolutely. You know, it underpins any type of style that you need and, you know, you're ultimately there as a leader to role model what you expect to see um, from people and you, you offer a new perspective about how you can deal with difficult situations. In some of the work that we do, it gets very pressurized, but, you know, you mustn't pressure others Um uh, in that journey and I think one of the privileges if you're in a privileged position to be a leader then you have to ensure that you know those who follow you or those that you're able to lead you your role modeling what that should look like as you move as they move into their journeys or potentially their leadership journeys.
0: And how do you help your staff cope with that pressure?
1: I think really standing near the standing next to them whilst the work is going on um This idea of being in classrooms, this idea of role modeling, what a difficult conversation is going to look like. This idea of instilling a very solutions focused way in terms of how we deal things, I think is absolutely key. I started off this academic year talking to my staff about self-help and, you know, really empowering them to feel like they have a voice or they have a process by which they can make a difference. You know, we're in a really, really exciting time where, you know, you can pull up something on a YouTube video and you can learn a skill or you can understand a concept a lot better or you can find a third way to do something. And I think sometimes with all the information that we have to hand, if we don't have this philosophy around self-helping ourselves being the best version of ourselves then I think the knowledge just gets lost so we've really instilled in our staff this idea of being able to self-help there's always a way there's always a way that a problem can be can be resolved and and you ultimately have the power and the agency to do that.
0: And of course, you lead two distinct different types of uh, individuals. You have staff and students. Do you find that you need to adapt your leadership style to deal with those two different groups?
1: I think broadly, the principles of leadership are the same, which are you respond to the situation because it's not about the person. And whether they are young people, whether they are people more experienced, obviously the, the conversation will sound different. But if I put it back to that core principle and, you know, you have a child who potentially makes a mistake, what do you do with that child? You, you, you nurture them, you role model to them the right way to do it. You check in with them, you support them on their journey to develop that skill. And I think sometimes we forget that that needs to apply to adults as well notwithstanding all of the different things that we could talk about in terms of a set way to do things and adults thinking that they've got a better way to do things but I think if you can instill this idea of self-improving and self-help and being the best version of yourself whether it's adult or child I think then messaging becomes a lot a lot easier Um, but there needs to be a culture that underpins that
0: and who encouraged you to be your best self? Was there a particular individual when you were first starting out in teaching, or was this uh, going further back when you were a student?
1: For me, I would say it, it, it came from my parents. Actually, um, I'm a Sikh. I, you know, that's the faith that I follow, and one of the core messages that that come from. There is this idea of making sure that you're able to help people, that you are compassionate, that you're ensuring that you support people to be the best versions of themselves. And when I watched my parents growing up, there was a lot of difficult challenges they faced as, you know, first generation immigrants to the country. But this idea of a can-do attitude, this idea of always finding the third way, this idea of there's always somewhere to find a solution. I think that's very much shaped the way that I definitely go at things, go at challenges. And I think the finesse is just different techniques that you pick up along the way.
0: And you must obviously try and pass this on to your staff and your students. Um, what are the words of advice that you give to young people when you first come to contact with them?
1: I think for me, I, I do push that message of, you know, it's your responsibility to make sure that you are the be- you are better than the generation um, that was there before you. I always mm-hmm. say that. I, th- I say to them often that they're in a time where technological advancements Things that would have taken years and years for us to be able to do previously, you know, they've got that knowledge and they've got that information at their fingertips. And they can go on to do a lot better and a lot greater than I think the generation before. And that, with that comes great responsibility. And I say this to them all the time. You know, you've got, you're responsible for shaping the world um, as we move forward. And there is a lot of knowledge that's available to you that wasn't available to us in, in in that time so it's this idea of being responsible young people as we move forward into this slight era of the unknown and it's about making sure that information is one thing what you do with it is another underpinning that which is a term I'll come back to a lot of times through this interview is this idea of you must never forget that the person in front of you is also a human being that's just trying to do the best that they can.
0: Now, just to bring this up to a, a much larger level, if I pressed you to choose objectively the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be?
1: Um, wow. Well, I know it's me, a difficult one. <laughs> it is a difficult one. I, I would have to pick Her Majesty the Queen. Mm. Um, and I'm guessing you're going to ask me why.
0: I am. Please proceed.
1: I I think for me, very much, is this idea of, when I think about how some people understand leadership, this idea of a very, you know, finger-pointing, the loudest round, the table, the one that delegates out. And And I look at Her Majesty and I think about many decades. Her reign has served and continues to serve. And there are a few underlying principles which I see which are around discipline, which are around role modeling, which are around listening, which are around being mindful of what is said and how it's said. I think that for me is sometimes softer skills that we as leaders don't always recognize mm-hmm. when we're around the table. and There's a level of humility, I really feel, even in terms of Body language and the graciousness by which that which that comes through. You know, she, she is a, she is a great leader and continues to be a great leader. And when you have somebody who has spanned as many decades as she has, and then you look at what those core principles are that have stayed the same throughout then for me that makes a pretty amazing leader because for me what always comes through is no matter what person is stood in front of her what she's never forgotten for me is that person is a human being Mm. and I think that's how you are able to span decades.
0: Well Irvinda it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you unfortunately our time has very quickly drawn to its close but before I let you go what does next 12 months have in store for Arc Bolton Academy?
1: So it's about making sure that we get our best ever results. This is our fifth year. So these are my children who I've had for five years. And for me, it's about the next layer of succession planning, up, making sure that the leaders that are developing in the academy, those who will take over the academy, will ultimately do a better job than I ever did. That's what success looks like. I often say to my staff that a person may walk away, you can miss their personalities, but you've left the academy in a stronger position so somebody's able to take it on and then do even better with it once you've gone. And I think that's a real marker of success in leadership.
0: Well, Hermenda, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you and I very much hope you come back on the program soon so we can go further into this.
1: I'd look forward to
0: it. Thank you. Thank you. That was Herminda China, Executive Principal at Ark Bolton Academy. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett.
2: Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure. But uh, since we are talking around the theme of Leadership, it would be remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure, your delight that a certain
3: someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, Are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So... I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, Mm. very able and presents extremely well. And I I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, There has been a lot of
2: criticism, especially from uh, four candidates a little further left um, than them, who have criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism.
3: Yes, I think it's really unfortunate Uh, particularly when new MPs come in, having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future, and that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure Start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a a single nation just off the coast of Europe Mm -hmm. and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international? in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole, rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years, Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, And And climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us.
2: No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies. certainly. And speaking of your time uh, as home section in government, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described described? Yes,
3: I mean, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them. Uh, giving them a, a a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to... Uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in in business. You can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we mm. are dependent on each other.
2: Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin it, um, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And
3: without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders... In a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom in very, very different ways were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as prime minister conglomerating I suppose you would call it plagiarizing thoughts ideas ways forward from everyone around you I often think that term um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans mm-hmm. after the game well,
2: everyone knows, uh, David. You know you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after. No, week.
3: I, it isn't. Although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very about good about Sheffield United in the Premier League because it it it's change. It does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City. Then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world, so that's good. I I, I could cry sometimes. We can we can beat uh, Brighton Premier League side in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them two nil in January. And then you can lose. And then you lose five nil <laughs> at home to Blackburn, and half the fans were out of the ground by, by the half time. What, what would
2: a manager blanket say in this situation? I,
3: I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who would played very well the week previously, and if you could answer that question, and there may have, something may have happened, who knows, something during the morning before the game started, something may have gone sour, you get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again. Yeah,
2: well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute, um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that Uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well,
3: I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened Mm. and I imagine I I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments Prepared to do it. If they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm-hmm. Prime Minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly <laughs> in the cabinet, as I speak at the moment, people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross examined. By decent journalists on the BBC, um, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it, and if you can't do that under real cross-examination, rather than sitting on the sofa. For a, a, an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do not it. Without a doubt. Yeah.
2: Uh, that's And also, I should add, that is how uh, all stripes earn that respect in the first
3: place. But there is a question, isn't and there? I try and answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always try to answer the or questions. Or be
2: very good at avoiding them, either way. Um, oh,
3: well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why.
2: Quite. Uh, <laughs> the... Um, And I think one of the great things about uh, the Leeds Council especially is that um, it takes and talks to people, again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether as leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you
3: for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The The second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics. You, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Mm Centre three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a read-over in terms of immigration, the kind of things Mm -hmm. that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, In the very uh, couple of minutes we have left,
2: um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit, uh, well after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January? And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league?
3: Lord above, I'm not. I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in, indicated where my support is for the the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January, two thousand and twenty, Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the. Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December Two thousand and nineteen, uh, and that that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On on the, um, the the next few months, I think that the government will probably do quite well. I I I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having eleven months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships, in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and, and politics, I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant.
2: And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blanket, thank you very much for joining us God
3: today. God bless you, Jonathan.
0: This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye.